0: All right, y'all have a seat. Good morning. Really, am honored to be here with you today. I'm gonna to sit this somewhere. Take care of that for me, thanks, man. I knew that guy's a drummer; he could handle that microphone right there. Really, am honored to be with you today, and um, I, I want to tell you I knew that this was a, a new church, and here's how I knew this. So, uh, I planted Freedom Fellowship. Me and a group of folks planted Freedom Fellowship in Greer back in 2004. And even before I went to work for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, helping with church planting, I used to volunteer and do some training and that kind of stuff. And uh, back when the original core group came to White Oak Conference Center down in Winsboro for some church planter training, I was there helping to lead that training. And so I remember uh, that group coming through and we prayed for the folks at Infinity and that God would do something special here in Fountain Inn. So it really is an honor for me to be here. It's an honor for me to be right. To be honest with you, at any church, uh, with what we've been going through, I looked back at my calendar. This is the first time I've I've taught uh, at a church in a while. But don't don't you know? I know you're thinking, oh, good night. We're going to be here for an hour and a half. (laughs) He's got it all built up. But don't worry. I'm going to I'm going to try to keep us within a a reasonable time limit. But it is a blessing to be here with you today. Uh, One of the things I get to do in my role. As a church planting team leader at the South Carolina Baptist Convention, so I do get to worship at a lot of different churches, a lot of new churches. And uh, let's do this real quick. Let's give the musicians a little bit of a hand there. Um, I have worshipped in a lot of new churches, and I've heard some bad music. I'm just going to tell you. And uh, and when uh, when they got up here and Aaron opened up his mouth and started singing, that I was like, oh, we're in, we're in good shape today. Uh, I'm not. I don't have to be worried. But uh, I am uh, I am married to Sherry, as, uh, as as Dan told you. I have two daughters, uh, Emily and Grace, 26 and 20, and uh, we all are Charleston Southern. My my youngest daughter Grace Emily graduated from there. My youngest daughter Grace is there now. I met my wife Sherry, who's from Travelers Rest. Some of y'all might know Travelers Rest. Uh, she did have on shoes when I met her, and um, and all of her teeth. So it was a blessing. So, but we are, uh, I'm thankful to be able to do what I do with the South Carolina Baptist Convention and be here with you today. And I want you to know that what is going on here, you're just a small part of what goes on all over this state every Sunday morning. Uh, Right now across this state, there are folks meeting in South Carolina Baptist churches uh, in places like this. There are some meeting in places where they have pews. There are some meeting uh, in places uh, where they're sitting on the floor. There are people worshiping today in English and Spanish in Hindi, uh, in, uh, in, all, in Chinese, all these different languages. These are all part of the same family of churches that you are a part of. Uh, but one of the things that all of these churches have in common, whether they're preaching from the King James Version or the NIV or whether they're singing with a band or, or just singing with an organ, one of the things all these churches have in common is that they all believe that we can do more together than we can separately. And that's really the beauty of being a part of the Baptist Convention is that part of the money that you give here this morning, and I do want to encourage you to give, I see here that you can give in the offering box in the fellowship hall or online if you go to infinitychurchfi.org and click on the link. Philip didn't ask me to do that, but I do that at every church I go to. Because, uh, because I can say some stuff the pastor doesn't normally get to say, y'all. And see, if I, if I make you mad today, hey, that dude talked about money, you'll come back next week. I won't be here. Philip will be back from Mexico. But I do want to encourage you to give. But part of what, what you give every week here goes to places that most of us will never go to. It goes to corners of the world where people desperately need to hear the name of Jesus, where some folks have actually never heard the name of Jesus. It goes to India, where my college roommate, a country boy from 96 South Carolina, has been serving most of his life trying to help folks from India hear the name of Jesus for the very first time. You are a part of that. It also goes to help plant churches all across our state, in places like Myrtle Beach and Beaufort and here in the upstate and Greenville. Uh, in the Columbia area, in the Rock Hill area, all of those places where new churches are being planted, being started. Folks just like y'all that have decided we need to plant a church because there are people in this area that need to hear about Jesus. Right now, three out of four South Carolinians, three out of four South Carolinians, do not have a connection to a Bible teaching church. Three out of four. Sometimes that's hard for us to believe, living where we live. I live in Greenville County, just a little north of y'all, and, uh, and, you know, and I drove on my way here today, I drove past a bunch of churches to get from where I live to get here. But we need a lot more. Three out of four folks are not connected to a Bible teaching church. And so when I was thinking through today what what, uh, what maybe we should talk about, uh, we're going to be in, by the way, we're going to be in the book of Luke. If, so if you, uh, you want to go ahead and turn there, if you've got to, you know, find it on your phone, however you want to look at it. The scripture will be on the screen, but it's, I think it's always good just to look at it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17. I'm going to talk through a story. But when Philip asked me to fill in for him today while he was in Mexico on a mission trip, um, by the way, I got a really nice text from him last night letting him know he was praying for me, which was, which was nice. Y'all have, a, y'all have a good pastor. Um, but when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the year we've been through. And don't worry, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the pandemic uh, I got an update on my phone yesterday, it was, it was like a news update, and it said, hey, we're one year into the pandemic, why don't you read this update of how things went the past year? And I'm like, no thanks, I lived it. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to move on, I'm trying to think about better things. But it has been a difficult year, and, and I think in some ways it's been a difficult year for us to remember something that's very basic in our lives as believers. And I started thinking about this word, thanks. I started thinking about the word Thanks. And I'll be honest with you, Uh, I struggle sometimes with the concept of thankfulness, and I struggle sometimes in showing thankfulness the way I should. Uh, I'm the kind of person, I have really high expectations for people. And when they live up to those expectations, I'm just like, well, that's what you were supposed to do. And, and, I, and I don't pat people on the back like I should. I actually had, I remember a moment when after we had planted our church and we had been up and running a while, man, we had people that were working hard and staff that was working hard. And I remembered all of a sudden it was like God just spoke to me. I realized I had not shown thankfulness to these folks that were dedicating so much of their time and energy to getting this new church off the ground. And I actually had to go apologize to my staff. And tell them, hey, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't take for granted what you do. I should, I should express more thankfulness to you. I, I struggle sending thank you notes. Uh, maybe you do or don't, my, which is weird because my wife is like the World Series champion of thank you note writing. She could teach a class on how to do it. But, but I, I think maybe if you're honest, if you're honest like me, I think all of us maybe struggle with that sometimes. This idea of expressing thankfulness the way we should. Uh, in fact, there was a a story that uh, I read. It was uh, a New York Times. When I when I wrote this message, I was just doing some research, trying to find some ideas on this. And there was a it was a New York Times article. It was in July a couple of years ago that there was a a survey that was done about this idea of thankfulness, and they surveyed like you know thousand people something like that. You know how many of those folks said that they like to receive thank you notes? It was almost a hundred percent. Everybody was like yes. We love to receive thank you notes. Do you know how many of those folks actually send thank you notes? It was almost, almost none. And I, so I think we all kind of struggle with this idea of how do we express thankfulness the way we should. And, and, and there's something that I think is true for us all, and that is that being ungrateful is more natural for us than being thankful. Being ungrateful just comes more naturally to us than being thankful. Uh, that was a couple years ago, I had a friend, or at least this person, Facebook tells me this person is my friend. I don't know how many of y'all are on Facebook. If you're not, don't, just don't do it. I would encourage you not to open up uh, an account. But I kind of feel like Facebook is like the mafia. They pulled me in, and now I can never, I can never get out. But, uh, but that, this, this friend of mine on Facebook uh, was going on a trip and uh, And she was you know give, we were all getting updates Anytime, you know that here it comes we're going to do this, we're going to get on a plane. I mean, this is a big time trip, not I'm going to go to the beach in June. we go every year to the beach, but we're just going to get in our car and, and ride down to Garden City and unload and it's going to be wonderful, but thats that's not what kind of trip I'm talking about I'm talking about a trip where you, you have to have a passport and you get on a plane and you fly over a, you know the ocean to get there and so she's talking about this trip coming up, and she's giving updates. All the time. By the way, if if you do that on Facebook, if you got a big trip coming up and you're updating every week, nobody likes you because because we don't we're not getting to go. Uh, but anyway, that's what she's doing. She's updating all this stuff. And then it was like two days before she left, she started to put things on there like just check the weather again, and it's going to be this this kind of different. Now I got to repack my suitcase. This is so hard, you know. And it was, and I was thinking. How difficult is this just to throw a couple extra sweaters and You're going on the trip of a lifetime, and it it had this whole feeling of being ungrateful for something that you should be really thankful for, that you're getting to go on this trip. And so I want to read a, a, a story to you today, and I'm going to stop and kind of talk as we go through it, that I think touches on this idea of how we should respond when something happens to us, how we should be thankful for the things that come into our life. And so Luke chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 11 and uh, follow along with me while we read it. While traveling to Jerusalem, he, the he here is Jesus. While traveling to Jerusalem, Jesus passed between Samaria and Galilee. So these two areas, that, so Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Does anybody have any idea why he was heading to Jerusalem? I, I won't make you guess out loud. The reason Jesus was going to Jerusalem was to celebrate the Passover, but which was a, Jewish, a big Jewish holiday. But we know now, looking back, the real J- reason Jesus was heading to Jerusalem was he was on his way to be crucified. That's what was about to happen. And so this, when you think about the, the, the life cycle of Jesus from the manger all the way to the cross and then to the resurrection, this is getting really cr- close to the cross end of his life. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, why is that important to this story? The, Luke wants us to know this because... Samaria and Galilee were two separate regions. They were not only separate when it comes to geography. So, So you think about like Fountain Inn and Simpsonville, right? Now, you know, those two areas kind of butt up right next to each other. But there are some of you that are like, man, I live in Fountain Inn. You wouldn't want someone to say you lived in Simpsonville. And there might be some folks in Simpsonville that are saying, I'm a Simpsonville person. Don't call me a Fountain Inn person. So and Galilee was like that except way to the next level. It was two separate regions geographically, but it was also two separate regions culturally and religiously. And the folks that lived in those regions didn't want to have anything to do with one another. If you were a Samaritan, you didn't want to be around folks from Galilee. They hated you. If you were from Galilee, you didn't want to be around folks from Samaria because they hated you. And so it was a very tense kind of uh, tension between these two groups. And so that's where Jesus, he's walking right in in between those two areas. Then verse 12, it says this, as he entered the village, ten men with leprosy met him. Ten men with leprosy. Now, leprosy is a disease, um, and it was a disease that was extremely contagious. We can kind of relate to that, can't we, with what we've been living through in the past year. But the difference between leprosy and what we've experienced this year, not only was it contagious and not only was it deadly, but if you had leprosy, you were now considered unclean by the religious standards of the day which was a big deal. There were folks, There were things that were clean, and there were things that were unclean in the Jewish tradition. There is food that you could eat that was considered clean. There was food that you could not eat, which was considered unclean. And if you want to understand, if you, this afternoon, if you're like, Cliff, I just need to know more about the Jewish tradition and leprosy, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. You can read Leviticus chapter 13 this afternoon. Get you a cup of coffee before you jump into it. All right, because Because uh, it's very, very detailed. And Leviticus chapter 13 goes through this entire description of these skin diseases. And if you have these skin diseases, what you are allowed to do and what you aren't allowed to do. And the basic thing you need to know is if you had leprosy, you were pretty much not allowed to do anything. So if you had leprosy, you were having to live somewhere else. You could not be in touch with your family. You could not... Go to church. And so in verse 12 when it says he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They raised their voices or as we would say here in South Carolina, they hollered. So they stood off to the side and they hollered at Jesus. Hey, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now why did they stand at a distance? The reason why was because if you had leprosy, you were not allowed to approach a rabbi or a religious leader because there was the danger that you would make the rabbi unclean with your leprosy. So they could not even come to Jesus face to face. They had to stand at the side and holler at him, raise their voices to him, begging him to have mercy. So what we have here is we have 10 outcasts from society with no hope of being accepted unless Jesus performs a miracle. No hope. There was nothing that was going to happen. See, leprosy had no cure. There was no laser surgery. There was no robotic surgery. There was no vaccine. There was no pill they could take. Once you had leprosy, you were going to die with leprosy unless Jesus performed a miracle. Ten outcasts, no hope of being accepted into society unless Jesus performed a miracle. And so in verse 14, Jesus sees them and it says, when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Strange thing for, uh, for, for us to hear that Jesus said. It, it, it's one of those things where I'm sure if, if I was one of the 10 guys, I would probably be hoping that Jesus would say you're healed. I've got leprosy. I need to be healed of leprosy. I beg Jesus to have mercy on me. I would hope that he'd look at me and the first thing he'd say is, hey, you're healed of your leprosy. But he says, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, why did he say, go show yourselves to the priest? Well, one of the reasons why is because if a person was healed of leprosy, Before they could re-enter into society, the first thing they had to do is they had to go have a meeting with a priest, and the priest had to inspect them to see that the leprosy was gone. And then the priest could say, you're no longer unclean, you're clean. You can go back home. You can go back to work. You can go, come back to the temple next week and offer a sacrifice. You can do all of those things again because now... You're clean. And so when Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest, it, it was in some ways a good thing for them to hear because they're thinking, all right, maybe when we get there, he's going to say we're clean. But also they're not allowed to approach a priest because they are unclean. But look what it says that they did. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. So these 10 guys had to take a step of faith. Jesus told them, go show yourselves to the priest." Well, at this moment, they still have leprosy. They could have said, I don't know if I can take Jesus at His word. I'm unclean. I can't go to the priest. I, I, I think I'm going to wait and see what happens. If I, if, if I, if I look down and, the, and the, the sores are gone, then I'll go. But it says that they had enough faith that they began to go as soon as Jesus said go. And it says that as they went, they were made clean. Now, I don't understand exactly how all of this works. But there is a combination that took place between the word of Jesus and the faith of these men that, that ended up in healing. There was something that happened. I believe if Jesus had said, go show yourselves to the priests, and they had refused to go, then they wouldn't have been healed. Now, does that mean they healed themselves by going? No, it's still the work of Jesus and the act of Jesus. But he asked them, he told them, if you're going to be healed, I'm expecting you to go show yourselves to the priests. And so their step of faith combined with the miracle touch of Jesus, or not even the touch of Jesus, the word of Jesus, ended up in healing. Now, before we go into verse 15, let's, let's take a time out here and just summarize what we've heard. So we've got 10 guys. They have a deadly disease through no fault of their own. They, this is not like, you know, your parents telling you when you're a kid, hey, if you, know, if you keep chewing tobacco, your lip's going to fall off, you know, like my, my daddy told me, you know, when I, when I tried skull when I was a kid. It, it, it's not like that. This is, there was nothing, it wasn't like, hey, you know, this is something you do and you get leprosy or don't do and get leprosy. Leprosy was extremely infectious and you could just wake up one day and have it. So through no fault of their own, there's no cure. And then the result of that is that they're separated from everything. I don't know how many of these guys had family. I don't know how many of them had kids, but here they are. They're separated from everything. Not only are they separated from their job and their family, and, and, and not only uh, can they not live where they want to live, they got to live somewhere off far far away from, from where they're used to living. It'd be like having to go live in Pickens, something like that. And you're like, who wants to live over there in Pickens? I want to stay right here where I am in southern Greenville County. But no, you got leprosy, man. you got to go over there in Pickens. you got to go over there. Who wants to do that? And so that's the life these guys were living. Now, I want you to imagine... Something just from, if you will, just for a moment. Imagine that's you. Now, I know it's hard to do. And some of you are like, Cliff, it's not that hard to do because I had COVID back in this time period and I I was stuck in my room for two weeks or three weeks. I understand that. You know what I did this year at Christmas? I sat in my bedroom by myself and FaceTimed my kids because I had COVID. I started running a fever Christmas Eve afternoon. And I'd been around, all kind of people had it and didn't have it. I thought I was immune to it, right? Now, I'd been careful. I'd been wearing a mask. But, you know, I'll, here I am Christmas Day, laying in the bed by myself with an iPad on my, on my lap, you know, talking to, my, t- talking to my girls through the iPad. But the difference between that and this is I knew that was going to come to an end. Imagine it's you where you've got a disease and you've had to move out of the house You can't talk to your wife or your husband. You can't hug your kids. You can't go back to work. And then to top it off, the icing on top of this terrible cake is you want to come to church and you call Philip and Philip says, hey man, I'm sorry. We would love to have you back at Infinity Church, but as long as you've got leprosy, you can't come back here. We can't have folks with leprosy coming to worship here on Sunday morning. So the one place that these guys would go to to get comfort from other people that believe like them. They couldn't even do that. Now imagine that's you. And then imagine you're instantly healed of it. What would be the first thing you would do? If you were instantly healed of it, what would be the first thing you would do? Well, let's see what these guys did. So verse 15, it says this. So verse 14, while they were going, they were cleansed. Verse 15, but one of them, seeing that he was healed returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Ninety percent of the guys didn't thank Jesus. Now, I asked you a while ago, what would you do I think we all want to think we would be the one guy, right? You know, we all want to say, hey, listen, if it was me, I absolutely would go back and I would thank Jesus. But chances are we would have been like the other nine because those other nine might have ran home, hadn't seen their wife in years. They might have ran to find their kids. They might have ran back to the place they used to work and say, hey, can I have my old job back? I'm tired of being poor. Who knows what they did? But they did not come back and express thankfulness to the man that healed them. At some point, they had gotten some things out of order. It's funny, uh, when I was writing this message, one day I was sitting in in a place working, in a public place, and a guy came and sat down in front of me, and he had this shirt on, and on the back of the shirt it said, and I can't remember, I, I'm hoping I can remember all five of these. They all started with F. But it said, five things you don't mess with. And this was the order. It was family, faith, flag, freedom, and firearms. I think that was it, right? And I wanted to add fried chicken on the, on the bottom, you know, for just to keep in the F theme there. And, uh, and, it was, and I wrote that down, and I, and I got, kind of got tickled when I looked at it. But then I started looking and I thought, you know, really for a lot of us, that's kind of the order we put those in. We put family before faith. Uh, I think also maybe for some of us we put flag before faith. It's like, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm an American first kind of an attitude. Now, I'm not saying that's what this guy's problem were because we don't know what those other nine did. But here's what I know is they had an encounter with Jesus and instead of coming back to thank Jesus, they went and did something else. They went home. Or they went, you know, to the temple or they, they, they did something that they didn't come back and thank Jesus. And see, I think if we're going to really get to where we need to be when it comes to thankfulness, we need to understand that true thankfulness is a response to the work of Jesus. True thankfulness is a response to the work of Jesus. If being ungrateful is what comes natural to us, and we talked about that at the beginning, that I feel like it is, I think for most of us, being ungrateful is what comes natural, then if we're going to be thankful, it's not like we can just wake up one morning and decide we're going to be thankful. I can try that, but, but the morning I wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to live, I'm going to be a thankful, I'm going to be really thankful today. That's you know, I'm going to get pulled over for speeding or something on the way to work. Some, something's going to happen that's going to keep that from happening. I can't just decide to do better. So the only way we can truly be thankful is to be sure that we are responding to the work of Jesus in our life, responding to the miracle that is, Jesus has done. See, what we had here is we had 10 guys that went from disease to healed, from outcast to family members. They had a disease that, that could not be healed. Jesus healed them. They were outcasts from society and now all of a sudden they're back into the family and it reminds me of our situation. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Paul tells us that we have a disease that's incurable. It's a disease called sin. And it's the very nature of who we are. And we can try to say it's not a big deal or we can try to compare ourselves to someone else and say, well, man, Cliff, if you just knew how my neighbor lived and compared to me, I'm way better than he is. But it doesn't matter. God's not going to grade on a curve like I always prayed my algebra teacher would in the ninth grade. He doesn't grade on that curve. And so the fact is, is that without Jesus, we are dead in our sins with no hope. We're just like the ten that had leprosy with no hope to be healed unless Jesus miraculously took action. And then in verse 13, it says this, at well, verse 12, At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. We were outcasts, not part of the family. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Because of the action of Jesus on the cross, because of the power of the resurrection, we can go from being diseased to healed, from being outcast to members of the family. And so how do we respond to that work of Jesus in our life? See, that's where true thankfulness has to come from. If we're going to truly live a life of thankfulness, it's got to be in response to the work of Jesus. Because if our thankfulness is based on the saving work of Jesus, then it's refreshed every day. Then it's refreshed every day. Here's something that I'm, I'm sure Philip has has taught you about and continues to teach you about and it's and it's something that I'll just be honest with you even as a follower of Jesus who who came to faith in Jesus as a young boy and grew up in a church that had good teaching I still missed out on this for many years for many years I had this idea in my mind that the days that I was thinking about Jesus the days that I that I that I was actively uh, You know, considering the cross and actively in God's words, then it was those days that God was making, that Jesus was making me more like Him. But here's the thing that you need to understand that Jesus is always making you more like Him. If you are a follower of Jesus, if there was a time when you were an outcast and your sin had not been forgiven, and then you gave your life to Jesus Christ and He saved you from your sins, here's what you need to understand that from that moment until today, The work of the cross has constantly been happening in your life even when you're not aware of it that you are constantly being made more like Jesus. There's a big fancy word for that. You can write this down and brag to your friends that you heard a fancy word at church this week. It's called sanctification. But all sanctification means is that the work of the cross that happened thousands of years ago is still happening in your life today. See, that's the miracle of it. The miracle is is that What Jesus did on the cross is a fixed point in history. There was a time when it had not happened, and then it happened, right? So it's a fixed point in history, but the work that happened there doesn't stay fixed in the past. When they took Jesus off the cross and put Him in a grave, and then He rose from the grave, the work of the cross continues to this day. When His blood was shed, it's working still today in your heart. And so our thankfulness, if it's based on the saving work of Jesus, it can be refreshed every day because daily we're being made more like Him. But oftentimes we base our thankfulness on circumstances, and true thankfulness is not based on circumstances. True thankfulness is not based on circumstances. When I read this story, one of the things that is convicting to me is that All ten of these guys experienced the exact same thing. And only one of them came back to thank Jesus for it. Now the one that came back to thank Jesus, it wasn't like his healing was somehow more special. That he looked around at the other guys, and I better go thank Jesus because I got really healed. Those guys just got kind of healed. They all experienced the same thing, but only one of them expressed thankfulness the way he should. And see, I think sometimes I can, and maybe you can too. I can be guilty of basing my thankfulness not on the saving work of Jesus in my life, but I can be guilty of basing my thankfulness on what has or has not happened to me recently. Apostle Paul wrote in First Thessalonians, "Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." There was a. Uh, this is a story that uh, that I thought of when I was. Working on this message, I, I, I went to two funerals. This is a couple years ago. I went to two funerals within two weeks of each other a couple years ago. And I think it makes the point of, of what we're talking about here. It was for both funerals, were for ladies that had lived past 90 years old. All right. One of them was a lady, she lived to 91. One of them was a lady that lived to age 94. The lady that lived to age 91. Went to the funeral and this was folks, I had known this lady most of my entire life and, uh, and had known me and her son were good buddies growing up and had known her whole family. And so we went to the funeral and, and afterwards they had a little reception and we're going through the line talking to folks and I'm getting to catch up with my buddy, which was neat because he lives out of state. And everybody in that line, the kids, the grandkids, all of them, over and over again, they kept saying, we're sad, but we're so thankful that we had mama or we had grandmama for as long as we did because she lived to be 91 years old. And so there was this, even in sadness, there was this thankfulness. There was this gratefulness for the fact that she was a wonderful grandmother, a wonderful mother, and we got to have her for 91 years. It was That was the overall kind of feeling that day. Two weeks later, I went to a funeral for a lady who lived to be 94, and she died... What we would say is unexpectedly, but let's be honest, if you're 94, I mean, I don't think death is ever unexpected, but, but she had not been sick, so it, it's not like she was in a nursing home or in the hospital, it was just, she went to bed one night and, and uh, you know, and, and didn't wake up, which is a pretty good way to go, I think, and went to her funeral, t- it was two weeks later, walking through the, th- walking through the line, and, and uh, you know, and I'm trying to be pastoral, like, like you know, we're supposed to be, and, and be real loving and caring. And one of this 94-year-old four-year-old lady's adult kids, I said to her, it's probably my fault that I brought it up, but I had just been to this other funeral two weeks before, so it was in my mind, and I said to her, I said, I bet you are so thankful that you had her for as long as you did. And she looked at me, and she said, you know, everybody keeps saying that, but it wasn't long enough. And I thought, how, how sad is that? You had your mother for 94 years, and you still can't be thankful for that. All you can think about is the fact that she isn't here today. Now, I didn't say anything to her because I was trying to be pastoral, but I had to confess for some of the thoughts I had about her later that afternoon. But the reality is if our thankfulness is based on our circumstances, it won't last. If our thankfulness is based on our circumstances, it won't last. It won't last because circumstances change. It also won't last because sometimes the thing we're thankful for, we later are ungrateful for that very thing we were thankful for in the beginning. How many of you had kids and you prayed for kids before. Hey, were there any of you that maybe struggled to get pregnant? Me and my wife, you know, uh, went, after we had Emily, we were we were praying for another child and it took years before grace came along, right? And and we were praying for that and, and you can, you know, and I, I, I've had conversations with folks. We prayed together in life groups and we're praying that y'all can, you know, y'all can get pregnant and have kids and we pray for that and then that child turns 13 and you're like, what? Who is this demon spawn living in, in my house? Where did, this, where did this come from? And so the very thing you were thankful for, there are days you're, you're, you're kind of ungrateful for that child. Or you could do that with a job. You know, I, I just need this job. And then you get about two weeks in and you're like, this is the worst job I've ever had. We can all do that. If our thankfulness is based on circumstances, it will not last so the final verse in this story, verse 19, I didn't read it yet, but let's go back to it. So you had ten that were healed, nine went on their way, one came back and thanked Jesus, and then Jesus tells the, the one, verse 19, and he told him, get up, go on your way, your faith has saved you. I don't think the other nine got leprosy again. I don't think Jesus responded I don't think think Jesus operates that way to say, since they didn't come back, I'm giving them leprosy. I think they were just as healed as the the one. But here's what they missed out on. They missed out on a face-to-face encounter with the man that healed them. They missed out on a face-to-face encounter with the creator of the universe. They missed out on a face-to-face encounter with the one who was responsible for the fact that they were diseased and now healed and they were outcasts and now members of the family. They missed out on that. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out anymore. I don't want to spend any more days missing out on having pity parties for myself and not being grateful and thankful for the work that Jesus has done in my life. There was a time when I was diseased with sin and unable to do anything about that myself. I was an outcast and not member of the family. And today I'm a member of the family. I am no longer diseased with sin, even though I still struggle with it. And that's because of the saving work of Jesus. And I want to live the rest of my life being thankful and grateful for that. I'm going to say a prayer. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Y'all are great. Uh, Man, y'all were right with me the whole time. And so let me pray. Uh, Aaron and and, uh, the musicians are going to come back up and close us out. And um, let's pray together. Father God, we are thankful today for salvation. We've been talking about it. And God, it's because of the cross and it's because of the resurrection that we've even gathered here today. That's what we come to celebrate every week. It's been a difficult year, Jesus, but uh, we know and we've we've experienced your provision all along the way. And uh, we know that if you've provided in the past, you're going to provide in the future. And so we look forward to what you're going to do this year. We look forward to what you're going to do through the ministry of Infinity Church here in Fountain Inn. And I pray today that we would spend our lives living, grateful lives for what you have done for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.